welcome to Nashville Savvy, your host, Megan Lee Petitlick, here with the Pelletier. How are you guys doing? Hope you're doing well. Of course, we're coming right up into those last few weeks of December that seem like they disappear. So I will see. I will be here next week, and then we'll jump into the New Year's after that. But let's go right into what happened this week. I specifically went to a community meeting for... MLB coming to North Nashville. So jumping right from Tennessee Titans Stadium, we've heard discussions about bringing NASCAR to uh, the fairgrounds. Now we're hearing more discussions about bringing MLB to Nashville. Basically, on I think it was um, perhaps it was Tuesday night when I don't even know. It's Thursday, right? Yeah. <laughs> Tuesday night when I went to this meeting. It was a proposal to introduce an idea of bringing a baseball stadium, a major league stadium, to the TSU campus, which is a super interesting prospect compared to some of the other options that we've seen thrown out there since around 2018, when this idea started to get passed around, you know, bringing a new franchise to uh, Nashville. So let's back up a little bit. When it comes to the major league baseball uh, teams, this idea of bringing a team to Nashville wouldn't mean moving an old team here, you know, just relocating them. It would literally mean creating a new franchise, a new team altogether. And it's not until around 2027 that we'll see um, new teams starting to come out and an expansion in MLB. That's a decision that'll be made around 2026. So people are kind of shopping these ideas, different states, different areas, different places that want to bring these opportunities of, you know, creating an attraction for, of course, growth, infrastructure, et cetera, in an area, all sorts of business people and interests are involved in this process. So Nashville is one of those places that people are really looking at. And the history of baseball in Nashville, of course, we have the Nashville Sounds. That's one of the biggest questions that come up during this discussion is what happens to the Nashville Sounds, <laughs> which is a good question because we did just move them into a new stadium and paid for it and all that stuff. It always feels like all the business deals moves re really fast and leave taxpayers and locals behind. And that was a lot of the, the input that we got during the community meeting on Tuesday. So now going towards, now that we've kind of touched a little bit on the background of MLB uh, in Nashville, let's look at the meeting that happened on Tuesday. We had council member uh, Taylor. He represents North Nashville. He held this meeting. They're going to have more meetings. One, the next one I think is going to be, they said in January. And basically, he is neutral on this. He He's not advocating for or against. He's just holding the community meetings because there are people who want to try to pitch this to the North, North Nashville community. The person who came was a represent to speak and answer questions was a representative from the um, it's Music City Baseball. Uh, his name is Dr. Eddie Hamilton. He came in, he was a board member of Music City Baseball. They want to create, I think it's the Nashville Stars. And his idea is to basically bring the team um, into the TSU campus 
There is a, they have an agricultural program there. There's some land right on the river that they could potentially build this baseball stadium on. And this is a deal that he kind of wants to make between TSU. It would be a public partnership. Um, the private being the investment, the public being actually a, a relationship with the state because TSU's land is state-owned land. It is not Metro-owned land. So this would actually kind of go around Metro in certain ways, but uh, develop some type of revenue partnership, capture zone taxing partnership with the state. So really interesting he, of course, had an audience of very skeptical <laughs> North Nashvilleians, and understandably so. People are coming right off of the Titans deal. They're exhausted of getting made a bunch of promises, getting absolutely no delivery on them, people swooping in last minute telling people about, telling them about how d- good this deal is going to be for them, and then making whatever decisions they want to make anyways. Of course, that is the private sector when it comes to this stuff. A lot of the deals are made, and then at the end of the deal being made, it's kind of brought out to the public to look at and review. But Mr. Hamilton, Dr. Hamilton, he really want his whole purpose, at least stated purpose, is to invite the community in to the conversations as it's unfolding, not in the last minute, not right at the end of the process, but as this whole thing is unfolding. And he made it very specific that he wants us to benefit bl- the black community in North Nashville. Um, he did not parse words with that. It's all about he actually made it clear that it's really not about baseball and it's not about bringing baseball to the area. It's about creating black wealth in the area and some type of infrastructure where you can grow the black community, black community wealth, and perhaps even some um, affordable housing options, et cetera, et cetera. So he gave the, he gave the, the, crowd of about 25 North Nashvilleans, uh, a lot of information, a lot of new information, but he also got peppered with a lot of questions, some of which were about uh, affordable housing. But really it's what's interesting now is that the housing conversation is starting to make a transfer from, okay, this mixed use affordable housing is fine, but when we actually build affordable housing, it starts to not feel like it's attainable. Either it gets uh, taken up really, really quickly and filled up really fast, or it's really not quite as affordable as what they're promising, is, at least for certain people within certain um, uh, brackets, tax brackets, you know. And what was brought up multiple times during the meeting was single-family homes. Um, you know, people aren't building starter homes. People aren't investing. You can't create wealth by just renting forever from affordable um, housing rental units. And that was really interesting because that's something that we've talked about, how the multifamily um, mixed-use housing facilities are being favored by the metro um, system right now. They're favoring density, which is really good for transit. And they're ignoring single-family homes. They're making it really difficult for people who want to build their individual single-family households. They're making it difficult for contractors 
to find a sustainable and uh, profitable way to put up single family homes. Instead, you're seeing the multifamily buildings go up because that is how those contractors can make money right now. That's where the metro government is investing it as far as giving incentives and making it, you know, a better deal for the contractors. So, of course, they're setting the market and the market is responding. And now you hear these people during this North Nashville meeting that perhaps uh, we need to rethink this a little bit, which is really interesting because we've touched it from the density aspect and how that plays into this whole transit narrative. So wanting to put people into starter homes where they could actually create wealth and have real um, investment in their in their own you know, not just affordable rental housing. So that was one of the parts of the conversation. People are really tired of the pandering. You could tell just by the group, mostly brown and black people, but it's a mixed group of people. And um, there were some really candid, refreshing and funny conversations that happened because people felt comfortable expressing themselves and their needs. And a lot of people are just tired with the package and the trimmings that they're putting these ideas in this uh, whole idea of uh, empty promises about equity, equality, black people, uh, pandering to that type of um, that that type of talk, that type of sales pitch is is not hitting with a lot of these people who have watched deal after deal after deal get pitched to them with these promises that don't get fulfilled. So that was really interesting and refreshing to watch. I encourage you to go to community meetings in your area. If you don't know your council member, you could go on to the metro.gov website, find them and get on their email subscription list. And just if you don't have time to watch Metro Council meetings, just try to at least go to their meetings. They have like, you know, some council members hold like quarterly meetings. It is truly interesting to see how not only involved people are, but how knowledgeable people are. They've people who follow this, who've been following government. It's almost like a uh, it's almost like a disease. Once you get into it, you know, what's once you start to know what's going on you kind of stick around and you pay attention and you hold people accountable. You hold your council members accountable. A lot of people who were in this meeting have been following along for years and years, maybe even decades of different council members coming in and out and trying to make different things happen. And they've heard all of the same sales pitch. They've heard all of the same promises and it's a wealth of knowledge. These people are not, they try, sometimes it's funny when you get to the actual council meetings, you hear people talk about, you know, um, that people in the community don't understand the nuance of the conversation, you know, and that kind of becomes uh, a conversation piece of, of, yes, your council member is making a decision on the behalf of all their constituents. Of course, you hope that's not always the case, but you would hope so. But when you sit in some of these community meetings and you listen to these people, they're not, they're not stupid. They know what's going on. They know exactly what, what these people who are coming in with these ideas, these private uh, investors who are coming in, they know what they're trying to sell. They just don't want to be BS'd anymore. And so that was the vibe that came from the other night. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Here's two parts of this. One, TSU is going to come out with a full um, plan of how this would work if an MLB 
team were to come and they build the stadium on, you know, the campus land, it would be a 99 year lease that the that the team would have with TSU. And I think that they're trying to make sure that that everything that happens, every piece of infrastructure, every piece of investment stays within benefiting with the community of North Nashville. A big problem that TSU has right now, which came up, is that they don't have a lot of infrastructure like hotels and stuff like that. So even if you have games at TSU, people who come into town to watch the games end up staying downtown. So that revenue that could be kept within North Nashville is actually going back to downtown Nashville and benefiting that part of Davidson County. And even though TSU was the attraction. So that is an interesting part of the conversation that came up that the MLB stadium would perhaps help with the infrastructure to not only attract people to North Nashville and their tax and their dollars or, you know, whatever revenue, but keep them there, you know, give them hotels to stay there, give them attractions there. Of course, the other conversation is that we've heard this a hundred times and they don't want to turn into the Gulch. They don't want to turn into East Nashville. They don't want to turn. <laughs> and I love that. Of course, on Twitter, we have the people who, who call those people's uh, NIMBYs. And sometimes that's used as a negative term, but you do have to protect uh, your, your own space. And the best the best comment I heard made during there were quite a few good ones, but the best comment I heard made during the entire meeting was Metro keeps pretending like the only answer to all of their problems is to create these public private partnerships. And he simply just stated, what are you doing with our three point two billion dollar budget? Why can't you do any of these things? Why can't you incentivize certain initiatives? Why can't you do things without having to keep going back to these big pie in the sky, public private partnerships with these new teams coming to Nashville? Um, so yeah, maybe at the end of 2024, we'll be moving towards having NASCAR, MLB, football, <laughs> hockey. Maybe we'll just have all of the things uh, but for now, very skeptical in North Nashville. Of course, that is not the only place that people are looking to put an MLB stadium. That's just one proposal. So the TSU campus is one proposal. Some people are still trying to push to get it over next to the Titans stadium, even though apparently the Titans are like, absolutely not. You're not putting an MLB uh, stadium next to the Titans stadium. And I have no idea exactly how many other uh, potential places will pop up as far as where to potentially put a new MLB uh, stadium. But that's the DL for that. We're going to go into our local corner today. I don't know if we have any of the music queued up. I usually don't play a local corner, but... Yay. Love it. So we have two local corners today. One that's hyper local, which is right here on Commerce Street. I'm going to pull up a picture of the lovely Dolly Parton. Her and her business partners have bought up a, a building on Commerce Street. Of course, we know what that means. Usually it would mean a bar, but in this case, it looks like it means a hotel. 
So we might see a Dolly Parton hotel on Commerce Street. It's unclear at this point, but of all the people that have moved into the downtown scene, opening bars, you know, uh, Garth Brooks just opened Friends in Low Places down there, and he's basically taken over downtown. He he's now created a little. Uh, he has the police and a little traffic hub set up, like to help out with the traffic and the pedestrian traffic, as well as the actual car traffic downtown right in his bar, which is super interesting. But uh, Dolly Parton's now making the move as well. And we all loved this entire state and country and world love Dolly Parton. So that's the one local corner happy that's happening, hopefully sometime within the next few years. The other thing I wanted to mention, I wanted to bring up our, Lovely friends, Hillsdale College, (laughs) because, of course, they're constantly under fire here in Tennessee simply because they want to help uh, introduce alternative charter schools into as options here. And we've seen a lot of the charter schools getting blocked by uh, local municipalities, really local school boards and such. But Hillsdale also has college courses online, free colleges courses online. And I wanted to bring up a really awesome college course or not real college course, but it's like a course online that you could do for free this holiday season on a Christmas Carol. So every year I read a Christmas Carol for the last four years and it's timeless. I mean, there's a hundred thousand Christmas Carol movies out there. And they're unique and good in their own ways. You can argue in the comment section about which one is the best. I tend to go for the old school uh, black and white Christmas carols movies. But I also like the um, there's the man who created Christmas. I think it's about Charles Dickens in the process of writing a Christmas carol. I love that movie. It has that guy from Downton Abbey in it. Anyways, love that movie. But this course is really really quick and easy. I think it's about six uh, half hour um, videos that you go through. And it's just so wonderful. The depth of what you get from taking the course and the fact that they're free and it's something to do during the holidays. A Christmas Carol is a really reflective novella and it helps you think about the things that really matter in life, which is why it's a perfect Christmas time ghost story. So I would certainly recommend if you like a Christmas Carol, or if you're just interested in uh, not just consuming your Twitter feed, (laughs) uh, it's very entertaining. Go to Hillsdale College, look up a Christmas Carol and their uh, little tiny um, program that they do for it for free and do it. So that's my, it's not a plug for Hillsdale. I just did it because somebody else recommended me to do it and I loved it. So my unsolicited uh, plug for Hillsdale. Now going on to our Metro Mayhem of the week, which is Phil Williams of all people. Metro We're going to pull up his tweet. So, okay. So for one, my favorite thing that uh, we use over at the pamphleteer is Davis's reference to Phil Williams as footman Phil. (laughs) 
Through the years, Phil Williams has been a wonderful investigative journalist here in Nashville, Tennessee. He's done a lot of great work. Of course, he also can be, um, especially as of late, extremely biased. Of course, the local media here does tend to lean one way, but you should be. People like Phil Williams and other um, statewide media outlets, they're covering and trying to hold the people in power are accountable, which right now is the GOP in the state. So totally understandable when you look at it from that perspective, which I know sometimes the nuance of these things gets lost in the sauce. But as of late, he's he is coming out in defense. Uh, he's running um, interference for people at, at the same time as trying to basically hang certain people out to dry. We've seen this happen multiple times over the last year with Phil Williams, the latest being this tweet that he put out amidst this controversy with Harvard's dean and, of course, our very own Carol Swain. And I'm going to do a quick plug. We had Carol Swain on Jared's program this morning, so if you haven't checked it out, make sure you go into the Pamphleteer's YouTube and find Jared's um, interview with Carol Swain. He's interviewed her before, and now he live interviewed her on the pamphleteer this morning. So check that out. She's um, she's the greatest. She's so so cuts right to the chase and so fun to listen to her say what we all wish that we could say out loud uh, with zero reserve. So check out that. But also. Here's Phil Williams, our Metro Mayhem of the Week, is Phil Williams running interference here for uh, the Harvard dean. And he says, uh, a plea for a more nuanced understanding of the issues from a rabbi. Jews are entirely justified in being hurt and angry. I certainly feel that way, but we need to pause for a moment before we hurt somebody, starting with ourselves. So this was tweeted by him. I think it was yesterday morning, maybe the morning before that. And this put uh, this adjective, this is like a pebble in everybody's shoe. So he's running interference. He's not covering the fact that this woman is now under multi like scrutiny for uh, alleged um, plagiarism. And also the fact that Carol Swain points out that she's a absolutely has been a person who has been able to get into the right spaces to succeed in this country. It is a privilege to be here in this country, but then she's also somebody who pushes for all this DEI stuff. And so he runs interference with tweets like this, and it's just um, it's just really starting to get under people's skin. So Footman Phil at it again. He was our Metro Mayhem of the Week. Of course, he's going to call you biased, and he's going to call himself completely neutral, but that's the way that, that Phil Williams operates nowadays. That being said, we're all we're <laughs> we're all all over the place as far as uh, uh, where people are falling on, on the spectrum of bias. I think I mentioned it here before on on this program, but the pamphleteer has always been straightforward about our intentions, and I do cover things locally and try to be extremely fair. If there's any bias, I will point out my own bias as well. That being said, the conversation, especially on a local level or a state level, is so heavily one-sided that we do find ourselves covering a lot of stuff um, 
basically trying to open up the conversation to all the stuff that the mainstream media is not talking about because they're hiding it behind their very specific narrative and cadence of how they're covering the news. That being said, is that since we've started, even though it was it was pretty bad when we, I got on here in 2021, I think, it's getting intentionally worse. Like people are 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 picking drawing hard lines now in the media with no shame or remorse, which is fine. I would love it if people would come out and just say exactly what they mean instead of trying to stand on some, you know, moral high ground of objectivity. But there is a whole problem too of a lot of young journalists and even um, editors and people who run certain publications where they uh, they are blind to, to their bias. There is a way that people have learned how to cover things. And there's um, there's definitely times when I've talked to multiple journalists who I they think that what they're doing is journalism when it's propaganda. They don't realize that they are shaping a narrative with the storytelling and they think that that's journalism. And I'm not that's not a judgment. They they truly believe that what they're doing is like the unbiased work of a good investigative journalist. And they really don't see their own bias. So there's a little bit of grace there, but it's okay to also hold people accountable for what, you know, what platforms they stand on and what they're trying to represent. So that's my sign out. That's my uh, two cents about <laughs> about the integrity of journalism today, guys. I hope I see you next week before Christmas. If, if I don't, have a happy holiday. Uh, whatever you celebrate with friends and family, I, of course, am Christian and, and will be celebrating Christmas. But have a happy holiday. Have a great new year. And uh, if I don't see you next week, I'll see you next year. Bye.